Welcome to Disarming Persuasion, the podcast for sales and business leadership professionals. My name is Dave Rosenberg, and I am the founder and principal at Locked On Leadership, a consulting firm with a mission to replace Thank God It's Friday with Thank God It's Monday. With me is my co-host, a man who can literally teach sales with one hand tied behind his back, Darren Cecil. Darren, what are we going to discuss today? The friend zone, Dave. The friend zone. My God, you're taking me back. You know, I've been married for be 24 years in May, and, and you're taking me back. I remember so clearly, I mean, women, more than one, that I really liked, that we got along with fantastic, and I didn't understand why they weren't interested in in going to the next level, and I was just sort of stuck in the friend zone. Is is that what you're talking about? Exactly. And then how does that relate to business? Well, that was going to be my question to you, okay? I like... I'm not worried about the friend zone. In fact, you know, one of the great things about having a really solid relationship with my wife is not only do we love each other, but we're also really good friends. So it's a good place to be now. So, so what, what does that mean? We're not a dating uh, podcast or a relationship podcast. Well, we are a relationship podcast in a way mm-hmm. and, and actually in a very real way. So help me out. What, where's the problem in business and what's it look like? Well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a meeting with someone and a friend of yours or even a family member has said, hey, I want to talk with you about what you do. And you like, well, this is family. I got this thing locked up and that deal never happens. That's never happened, though, to you, has it? Well, I mean, frankly, for me, it's usually a different perspective. I've seen that happen with other people as I've been coaching them over the years where they say, oh, oh, don't worry about this one. This is, you know, so-and-so, right? For me, the problem actually manifests a little differently where I just want to give away my my knowledge mm. to friends and family. And so it's almost never valued, right? I, I say, you know, here's my, okay, you're starting your business or you're running your business and, and, and you know, here, here's what I would recommend you to do. And then they don't do it. And I'm like, oh, you know, then they, they keep calling me, asking me for advice that I know they're not going to follow. Mm. And, and so they're they're... It's it's a frustrating situation. Oh, absolutely. Well, I'll get biblical for eight seconds. There's a Bible verse that says you're never profit in your own country. Yeah, no, that's it's funny. I have a friend of mine who's a, a speaker out of Denver, and he never speaks at conferences in in Colorado or you know for organizations that are local. And I had mm. the same problem here, where I've joined organizations thinking of speaking opportunities there, and they just know me too well. I'm you know, I'm Dave. I'm not, you know, I'm not a speaker, Dave. I'm Dave. And and so, yeah, I, I quote that all the time, actually. Um, I guess it's probably why my dad, who was a, a musician and a music teacher, never taught my brothers or I uh, our instruments, right? You, you, mm-hmm. He couldn't, he couldn't, he always had another music teacher. Um, and you see that frequently in sports, right? Where the coach dad doesn't coach his own kids. Yeah, I was fearful of that, and it's. Uh, but I end up did. I end up coaching all three of my kids, and once you coach one, you got to coach the others. And so I remember saying to my son, "You know, I know CJ that you have two hands, but I'm going to teach you baseball. But don't do exactly what I do because I want you to use that other hand. I don't want to catch the ball, slide the glove under your 
arm, take out the ball and throw it and be as quick as anybody can catch it and throw it. But there's certain things that I want you to learn from that I can teach you. And there's certain things that I can't. So I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. So back to this. So now we're, we're in a situation where we need to, we're working with whether as an employee or, or a coworker, a friend or family member, or they've asked us uh, for our product or service and we have to sell them. Correct. So what, what are the pitfalls? One is jeopardizing the relationship. So how does that look? Right. So, so how does that frequently look? What, 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 how does that manifest? Well, either, like you said, you might do a bunch of things for free, then you get frustrated, they get frustrated, and it, it, it dampens the relationship. That's one. Or two is someone make make an assumption that I'll just give away this stuff for free because we have a relationship or three as from a sales perspective, I feel either taken advantage of, or I feel that I can't be as open as I would with my other clients. Cause I don't want to offend family or friends. Yeah. You know what? I think there's probably another one too, because all of those happen. Uh, that's the, the friends or family discount. Oh, absolutely. Right. Which is to me is the most insidious. Right. Because now what this is always comes about this way is they say, listen, you know, and they don't even ask. Sometimes you offer. Right. It's like, you know, look, let me give it to you at my cost. Right. The problem is you give it to somebody at their cost and now there's an issue. They expect you to act as if you paid full as if they paid full price. That's right. And so now you're going to put more time, energy, effort into making a problem right. And there's, as you should. But now we're actually selling it at a loss. And your intention there was just to break even. Right. And you can't do it. And I remember, I, I remember my first, so my, my telecom business, my first customer was my veterinarian. Mm-hmm. And he brought up in our conversation trade. And I remember saying to him, because I had seen this happen already in my career, I said, you know what? I would prefer if we just worked retail to retail. And Mm -hmm. here's why. How do we equate? Because, you know, in the end of the day in business, it's about your gross profit, not the sale price. And how do we equate your gross profit to my gross profit? If we just both do it above board, at full retail price, then nobody feels bad that they were taken advantage of. Mm. And, and he agreed with that. And yeah, I, I haven't done trade since then. That makes a lot of sense. So, but there's other issues that come up. I mean, and I want to go into the leadership arena. I'll let you bring up sales. Now, how do you discipline somebody, right? How do you hold people accountable and I think this is where the value of proper accountability tactics come in. Absolutely. Well, it's funny you mentioned the veterinarian story because the biggest challenge I had is my, my daughter got married a couple years ago and I traded out some services and one was catering. And you can spend a lot of money catering a wedding. I didn't know you were a cook. I didn't know you could cook. Well, that's that's why I traded out those services. I, I can teach people how to sell. Oh, so I thought I thought you did the cooking. 
you there would be a lot of people that would be very unhappy at that wedding and you want it to be a joyous happy occasion that people reflect on for years to come you know with great satisfaction so that's why i thought it makes sense to partner with a catering company and it was a very large amount of food that was offered at this wedding it was gorgeous spectacular the reason why i bring this up is a couple of the salespeople that were in my training they acted unlike any of other my clients because i think there was a sense of entitlement or what happened and i actually threw one out saying you know you can't come back in here because so what, did that, of that. what did that look like i mean what what was how did they act you know when you get a substitute teacher when you're in junior high and kids act up in the room oh sure yeah in fact I, when i was in elementary school it wasn't just junior high my down the street neighbor so the mom, the mom of you know my older brother's friend was our substitute, and we had her in tears. And she said afterwards, you know, I think in the neighborhood, she's like, "Why did you treat me this way?" You know, and I'm like, "Because you were a substitute, right?" It's it's not it's just it's not personal. It's just business, and it's that's required. what kids do. It, it, right. It's required. Right? Yeah, we're playing our role, and so I was the substitute teacher. And you know, I'm a pretty sought after consultant, right? People get great results and such. And I felt like I wanted to send them to the principal's office because they were joking, writing notes back and forth. And, and I would say a certain word and they would turn that into an inappropriate way and they would laugh about it. Now your relationship, and it's not even as deep a relationship as, as we're talking about. We're talking about the friend zone, but you know, this was just a, a trade deal with, with somebody you didn't have a real relationship with before this, correct? No, we started to develop a relationship in order to get the trade, but that was through business meetings, but yes. And, and so the relationship was with the owner of the company, not the salespeople. How are they even aware that there was this trade deal in place that they took advantage of it? It's a great question. I don't know how they were aware it, or they were just very immature and disrespectful. So I don't know if it was the trade piece or if it was this, the uh, the two people in the program that were uh, should not have been sitting in those seats. Yeah, it's just funny. And I'm thinking, and again, we're we're you started off with the friend zone, and we're going to come back to that. The moving company that I ran, when I got there, the owner had created relationships with property managers in mm -hmm. in apartment complexes. Right, it's a great great relationship for for that mm -hmm. industry, and he would give them moves free for themselves, personal moves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if there was ever an issue, they wanted money back. And, and it, <laughs> right. Right. And you can't say to them, you can't go, um, it didn't cost you anything. So you got right. what you paid for, right? Because we were a very good professional yeah. company. Yeah. But things happen. So let's let's bring this back to the friend zone. Yeah. How do you recommend that with people who you're working with, and I want to take you out of your comfort zone, so hopefully that's okay. Please. Uh, I say that, but we both know that you've taught leadership for many years, so at a, at a university level, so it's not really out of your comfort zone. Um you're working with somebody who you have a relationship with. What do you do to to bifurcate that relationship and keep 
business, business, and personal, personal, not let them get intermixed. It's funny. I was just having this conversation with my son. So my 18-year-old son applied for a, um, a supervisor position that people that are 18 should not be applying for. And he got the, the job. And people that are 50 and 60 now he's supervising. He's also now supervising some of his friends. So one day he was working alongside and now he's supervising them. And he said, dad, what do I do? I said, well, I think it's really important to have a conversation with your friends that says something like this. When we're here, this is the role that I play. This is, this is my responsibility. These are my expectations and, and uh, that they have of me. And this is the role that you play. And these are the expectations the company has of you and I have of you. And we need to separate the roles that we have here with our relationships outside of here. So that was a conversation we literally just had in the car maybe two or three days ago. I think that's great advice. I think there's something else that I would do too. Please do. Because people think of that friendship as one way. Oh, so let's just uh, uh, role, role play here for a second that yeah. you're my supervisor. And as, as yep. people have been listening to this podcast for a while, know that we our relationship goes back uh, uh, over a decade. We've known yep. each other. And you, you all of a sudden become my supervisor. And the expectation is you're going to give me some slack, right? Because- Right. We have this relationship. Right. I would I would recommend you turn that on its head and say, you know, I, I would advise you to say to, to me something like, listen, you know, we've got a friendship that I value and I, I and I know I, I can count on you to support me. Exactly. By doing Brilliant. right. But by, by not not making my job more difficult than it is. So it's OK if we have a disagreement. We certainly have disagreement whether whether you we've known each other or not. Yep. But that you treat me the same way you would somebody else who you respect and have a disagreement with, right? Brilliant. So, so put the onus of the friendship on them as well. And, and obviously, it. you can't take advantage of them any more than you would. Any, and you wouldn't take advantage of anybody else, but right. But you, you don't want to take advantage of that friendship either. That's brilliant. So, what about in sales? Well, if I had a suggestion, would you want to hear that? I should keep that to myself. Well, I don't want to hear it, but I'll bet our listeners do. So uh, if you keep it to yourself, nobody's going to tune into the podcast. So why don't you mm. share with our listeners? I'll just close my ears. No, it's, it's, that's nothing new for you. So no problem. Huh? So Exactly. So what I would do for the listeners, and you know, I could say something poorly about Dave, but I won't right now because he probably will listen to the recording. So I don't want to do that. But what I would suggest is what I tell my clients to do is when they're meeting with someone that's a friend or a colleague or someone in a networking group that they're together, I suggest that they say something like this. Can we make an agreement, Dave, that we're not going to do business together simply because we're friends or simply because we're in the same networking group or simply because we've known each other for 10 years, that the only way we would work together is based on our conversation, you have challenges that you think I might be able to solve. Can we both agree on that? I think that's that's brilliant. You know, it's interesting, it struck me, and you and I talked about this before, obviously, actually, you know, many times over the years. Um, in, in fact, we, you know, I was just before this broadcast, right, we were, I was sharing with you how one of my clients 
um, I gave them a piece of advice, five minute piece of advice, and, and mm-hmm. it turned into a, five minutes of my advice turned into a hundred thousand dollars of revenue for them. You know, so but, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. Five minutes of advice turned into a hundred thousand dollars in revenue. I know it's not as good as what you do, Darren. No, you know, no, so, I want to no, play that no, out. Hold, hold on, folks. Hold on. So, so da- Darren here is this is this is known as the humble brag because we were talking offline. <laughs> He was sharing with me how ten minutes of his advice turned into uh, what was what was the number? Uh, I remember it normalized out to like fifteen million dollars an hour worth of value in your advice. I know so so uh, fifteen million divided by six. So it was a multi million dollar piece of advice, right? Wasn't it in your case? So mm-hmm. so he's just illustrating that you know my advice is only worth a hundred thousand dollars or or a million dollars an hour. He's 15 times better than me. So thank you, Darren, for bringing that up. But but anyway, you had said this <laughs> this woman had had was working with a friends and family and you had yep. suggested that very conversation to me about uh yep. um, how, how take away in other words what we're doing is in one case, and this is the point I was trying to make, we're taking away the relationship. I want you to pretend that we don't have a relationship. That's right. In a leadership show role, I recommend actually the opposite because you can't take away that relationship. And if you do and you say, listen, treat me like your boss, I want you to treat me, right? Then that creates friction because you can't turn it on and turn it off. That's so right. frame it as part of the friendship, right? Mm-hmm. Frame it and said, "Listen, as friends, what I what 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 I'm asking you to do is that if you disagree with me, that you know, there's going to be times where, where you're not going to agree with me, that you treat me as if I was a stranger, and then offline, privately, you and I can have a conversation about that as friends, and, and with the understanding that ultimately it's my decision to make, but but your advice is always welcome, just like anybody yep. else's, right?" And try and set those boundaries. So in one t- one way we're taking it away, and the other way we're reinforcing it. Absolutely, no. That's a that's a great way to to handle it, and it shows respect for your friend slash you know colleague at work. That's wonderful. You know, one other piece of advice I received years ago, um, and I'm trying to think how I could put this more tactfully than I got it, which was you know, um, well, okay, folks. Um, this is going to be a little crude for us, all right? So just warning here. But if if there's a turd on the table, you got to call it out, right? So hmm. don't don't hide the bad news. And I think that's what we're talking about. Just just right uh, state it, put it out there, and say, listen, this is the bad thing that this is the potential bad thing that can happen. That's right. right. And, and let's have an open and frank conversation about it. And, and that's not just with friends. It's with anybody. Yep. So, all right. So stay, stay out of the friend zone by going into the friend zone or stay out of the friend zone by acknowledging directly that we're going to avoid this, that, that it will, you know, it will not affect our friendship if, right. I think there's, the power to that, to me, beautiful, is that it actually reinforces the friendship, don't you think? That's right. Oh, absolutely. The friendship and the family, it shows respect and kindness and being uh, displaying care. You know, it's funny, as we were talking, you and I know a lot of people throughout our lifetime that have 
been involved in like financial services. And a lot of times these companies will hire a lot of people. And what's the first thing they'll do? They'll sell their family. They're asked to sell their family and their friends. And it's very uncomfortable for some one to even invite their family and friends to a conversation or two, <clears throat> excuse me, to even have that conversation. And what do you say when you do it? And so I think that's this is a really helpful conversation. And a lot of times, um, I don't know about you, but you have been invited to the you think you're having a lunch meeting and all of a sudden you're being sold the latest and the greatest multi-level marketing piece. Have you ever been down that road before? Not only have I been down that road, I've, I've you know, I mean, I am a former Amway rep, just like mm -hmm. almost 95. And I'm making this number up, folks. I don't know the statistic, but I, but virtually 95 percent, I'm guessing, of all entrepreneurs at one point played, if not with Amway, which was, you know, a, a long time ago with some sort of MLM and we all yep. do it. And there's a lot of valuable lessons, by the way, in those MLMs. Oh, but, yeah. but to your point, right. That's the first thing they tell you to do is go sell to your friends and family because they're easy marks. That's, that's sort of the approach, right? Absolutely. Well, and wouldn't it be nice that if you're having lunch with someone, they let you know up front that during the course of our lunch, I really want to share with you something I've been working on and how important it is and how value it is to me and my family or my life. And I'd like to share that. Wouldn't it be nice to share that up front? So as a friend, you would get a sense of that's happening rather than I had lunch with someone and all of a sudden there's a PowerPoint presentation that's going on almost right in the middle of lunch. I had no idea it was taking place. And you know, it's funny um, that, that you're, you're absolutely right. And as you said that, I started thinking about you know, I, I I recently launched my my command college, right? The the three day mm -hmm. leadership intensive, and mm -hmm. and I so I'm reaching out to people I have prior relationships with, and some of them are people that I I haven't spoken to in some time, a year or two years, whatever it's been. And when I call them, the message I leave is, you know, hey Darren, this is Dave. I know it's been a while, and you know you you've been on my mind, and I'd love to get caught up to to learn more about what's going on in your life and, and, and share with what's going on in mine. Right. So I'm telling people what my agenda is. Right. And it's sincere. I definitely want to learn more about what's going on in people's lives. And if it's appropriate, mm -hmm. and I want to emphasize this, if it's appropriate, I'll bring up command college. Right. Or yeah. I might say it in a passing way, you know, I've been doing this, but, you know, without, I'm not, I'm not, you know, you should come. No, no, it's just sort of, this is what I'm doing. These are the results that we get out of it that, you know, we're transforming teams and um, making people's lives better. They're getting, you know, more effective at work and more effective teams, et cetera. And, and then if somebody's interested, they might come back and say, you know, I, I, I'd love to learn more about that or frequently what I'll leave it is saying, if you know somebody who, you know, you know, I certainly would love an introduction. And so Perfect. I'm really upfront about what my reason is um, for, for meeting them. And that's with strangers. So certainly with friends and family, let's do that. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's just common courtesy because then that person doesn't feel bamboozled, you know, that they think they're having lunch and all of a sudden there's a ninja power, there's a ninja handout or five handouts on the table that you have no idea where that they just showed up. Right. That's happened to me a couple of times. Yeah. And I think most of us where we sit down thinking what's going to be a pleasant meal, it turns into anything. But. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so there's different sides of the street. There's, you know, I think what we're talking about is being authentic, which is what you talk about, you know, many times being authentic, being honest 
And then also not being afraid because there's a, a lot of opportunities where there's some business people that would want to invest in our services, but because they're family or friends, we don't want to jeopardize the relationship, quote unquote. And so therefore we don't even approach them, which is just a big, uh, it's, it's a horrible thing to do because we're, we're not providing a service to people that could use it because we don't want to jeopardize things. Yeah, I think you nailed the hit the nail on the head or nailed the head on the hit or something like that. But yeah, you, you definitely hit hit the nail on the head with that one. I think it comes from, if I were to guess for most people, is, is really a sense of insecurity about the value of our services, mm-hmm. right? Is it really everything it's supposed to be? A number of years ago, just before I, I started coaching on my own, I was working for a consulting company out of Chicago who shall remain nameless. Mm-hmm. And I would go out and I would talk to them about their businesses. I would do, I was a senior business analyst. So I would go and, and evaluate what was going on in their businesses. They paid for my services. So a salesperson preceded me. And within uh, 24 hours, I got, it was really good, I think, at finding where they were leaving money on the table. And I would, my job was to lay out the problems to them mm-hmm. and ask them if they wanted to solve them themselves or engage us in, in um, a consulting um, contract where we would fix the problems for them. Sounds all, all, all wonderful, but there were little tiny signals along the way that led me to believe that this company was not everything I had hoped it to be when I took the job. Mm-hmm. And it was, they were subtle. And I got to the point where I didn't want to call my clients after I got, you know, close them and find out how the project went because mm-hmm. I didn't want to hear the truth. Right. And I never wanted to be there. I didn't last long in that job. Uh, you know, it took took a number of months to figure everything out. Um, but but it was it was the only job I could think of that I was under a year before. You know, since I was 13 or 14 years old, that that after I think it was six months, I'm like, no, I'm I'm done. I'm you know, this is this is not for me, um, because their their motivation was billable hours is what I came to learn not not doing the right thing by our clients. And I think if you feel that way about the product or service you're selling, don't take it to your friends and family. But I would say don't sell that product or service. Um, And if you don't feel that way, if you're going, well, that's not me. I absolutely believe in what I do. And if your friends and family truly have a need and you can help them, you're not being a friend if you don't offer your services. That's right. Yep. I tell my clients you're providing them a a disservice by not. If you had the cure for an illness and you don't share it with family and friends, you're what kind of person are you? Right. I agree with you. Yeah. And so how do you address, and I think this could probably be a good place to, we're not going to end this right. I want to address this problem and then wrap the show up with this, but how do you address the idea that you should, the friends and family discount? Oof. That's always a difficult one. Well, so, you know, you're never a profit in your own country. Um, my family has never asked for a discount. So that must, that must be how they value me and what I do. So I think I'm just daring when I go, when I go home, I remember when I went away to college, my mom was so proud of me going away to college. And, and I said one day, can you pass the soda? You know, I grew up in Boston and she starts screaming at me. 
it's tonic, it's tonic, college boy. You think you're better than we are? So I was always concerned about even saying anything about what I do from my family. So I don't even know how to handle family, but what do you do with the discount with friends? Oh, I guess the question I would do is I would put it back on them. When people call you and they want to work with you and they want the family and friends discount, how do you handle that? The very first thing I want to do is see how they handle that. And they may say, oh, I would never do that. Why? Because what I do is so is specialized. It's so important. And my fear is if I give you, if I give some of the family and friends discount, they expect me to go above and beyond. It's totally different. First thing I do and see if this makes sense to you is I put it on them. When someone calls you and asks you for this, how do you handle it? I think that's a great way to do it. And they turn around and they say, well, I usually extend them, you know, a, a discount. Perfect. And look, can I ask you a question? That's worked really well for you every time though, right? Hasn't come back to bite you in the air Bumba, though, has it? Mm, I see. That's brilliant, right? So now you're going to uncover if in fact they truly like doing the friends and family discount. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they go, well, yeah. And then based on, we talked about selling like a doctor in a previous podcast in pain. Tell me about that. And then right. you just start asking questions and they go, oh, I see. It's not good. Okay. And the only person that can overcome an objection is one that raises it himself or herself. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. In fact, that's worth repeating um, because it goes contrary to what we were taught you know, at least, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And as I was going through sales training, which, you know, was somebody comes up with an objection, you had all these techniques for overcoming mm -hmm. the objection, right? You know, tell me, first you had to dig down to what the real objection was. And then once you knew the real objection, you say, ah, well, you know, let me tell you why my product doesn't do this, that, or the other thing, right? And, and, and meanwhile, they're going la, la, la with their fingers in their ears because they don't believe you because you're the one saying it. So so that's that's brilliant. Um, I, I think there's something else on the friends and family discount that at least for me has always helped. And that is truly understanding the value of the services I provide. I'm sorry, what was that again? Truly understanding the value of the services I provide. So the business in, in, in commerce, let's not even say business, in commerce, we talk about money and exchange of monies, right? Yes. We pay somebody something, right? So, yes. so money is a IOU for value received. That's right. That's right. I pay somebody, let's say $100 for a product or service, yep. only if that product or service is worth at least a hundred dollars to me. And in fact, it's usually worth more than a hundred dollars to me, right? right? Because the ideal is I want, I want an exchange in my favor. So I give you a hundred dollars for service that I value at, let's just say $120. Right? Yep. I get a bargain. You will only part with that service or, or provide that service or part with that product. If in fact, the value to you is less than a hundred dollars, right? Because we need right. profit. We're not in this just for our health. Right. So, so the, the exchange proposition is I'm going to get $120 worth of value and give you a hundred and, and you're going to get a hundred dollars for giving me $70 or $50 worth of value, right? 30 to 50% to, to gross profit. That's that value differential there for you. Right. And it's a win-win situation. Mm-hmm. If we truly understand that for our friends and family, we're solving a problem that has greater value to them, 
than the amount we're charging them, then we should have no problem charging them full price because they're getting value for it. And the reason why I asked you to repeat it, one, I wanted to hear our listeners to hear it. And two, I also wanted to acknowledge that based on our previous conversation, that your five minutes or 10 minutes of suggestions to that client turned into, you know, I think you said over a million dollars, you know, out on an, for an hour. Right. right. That's that's, that's exact. Yeah. We, we had a five minute conversation. She closed a hundred thousand dollar deal. That's $1.2 million worth of value that she got out of my five minute conversation. So, how can we not look at the value we provide? And this is really helpful for our listeners to think about. What's the true value of what you provide? And it'd be a lot easier than to say, I'm not going to, whether it's family or friends or not, I'm not going to drop my price simply because they're asking me to drop my price. Once you quantify your value, it makes it a lot easier to justify full price when it's 1.2 million in value or whatever my numbers were. Perhaps they were just a tad higher. Only 10 times higher, $15 million worth of value. <laughs> I'm sorry, do you need me? You didn't say what? Usually you say what so I could repeat I'm, it. I'm so sorry, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't even, I couldn't comprehend that. One more time, please. I, I thank you for not disappointing me. Right. <laughs> well, but that's absolutely true, right? You, you, I, you know, it was, uh, I think it was a $1.5 million deal. Two of your clients closed on on ten minutes worth of advice. Is, is am I remembering the numbers correctly? Well, and there happened to be the two day training that uh, of sixteen hours that turned into um, two hundred fifty five million dollars for two deals. Right. So would you invest eight hours, sixteen hours of your time? Mm-hmm. For um, two hundred fifty five million dollars, and and I would do that all day law. Mm-hmm. All right. So I think this is a great place to to, to wrap up. Um, perhaps at another time, we could talk about negotiations and how when somebody does want to reduce their economic investment, what we can do to do that without um, devaluing what we do. It's a brilliant future podcast. All right. And until next time, this is Dave. Thanks, Dave. This is Darren. Have a great day. Yeah. And by the way, folks, if you enjoyed this, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media. All of the links are in the show notes. And share it with others. Yes. All right. Take care. Bye now. That concludes another episode of Disarming Persuasion. My name's Dave Rosenberg. And this is Darren Cecil. Visit our websites at LockedOnLeadership.com or DarrenCecil.com. Follow us on social media. You can find the links in the show notes. Remember, If they fail to make a decision, you failed to disarm them.